night, God, you would open our eyes and ears of understanding and you would make plain your word to us, that, Father, each of us might be built up and edified, that uh, your word might uh, more perfectly fit together in our minds, Lord God, because tonight of our study of your dispensations. Now, thank you for your word. Thank you for uh, the time, and thank you for those that have come out tonight. I pray that you'll be a blessing through your word to each of us tonight. In Jesus' precious name we do pray. Amen. What is a dispensation? Don't look. Don't cheat. What is dispensation? Okay. A, a period of time when God deals with a certain group of people in a certain way. Close your notebook, Terry. What is an age? Physical change in the Earth's surface. Right, an age is right. Uh, what begins and ends in age is a catastrophic change in the Earth's surface. The price of learning is repetition. Okay, so understanding that, somebody tell me what is the first age that we talked about. What is it called? Antediluvian. What does antediluvian mean? What does the prefix anti mean? Before the flood. Huh? Before the flood. means before. Diluvian means Noah's flood. Okay. It is an age that runs from what to what? Adam. Why is it? Why is it creation, not Adam? We don't know how long it is. Recreation to to Noah to the flood. When in recreation? Genesis one two. Genesis one two. Why Genesis one two? Genesis one one. We don't know when that is. There was another flood. Wouldn't it be easier to say flood to flood? Yeah. Pre-Adamic flood to Noah's flood. Yeah. Okay. It was a change in your service in both cases. Okay. It runs from flood to flood. Okay? In the antediluvian age, there are two dispensations. Somebody tell me what those two dispensations are in the antediluvian age. Edenic. And what is... What... What... what uh, Innocence. Thank you. <coughs> Innocence is the uh, is the main point of uh, I can't spell tonight. Innos, that's good enough. Innos, good. Okay, what's the second dispensation in the antediluvian period? Now come on, this is the easiest one of them all. You already got the evening. What what's it called? Huh? Antediluvian. Very good. And the antediluvian dispensation. And it is what, Terry? Conscience. It is characterized by conscience. When God deals with a group of people in that dispensation by their conscience. In the first dispensation, the Edenic, God deals with man in his innocence. Second dispensation, God deals with man through his conscience. 
Somebody explain that to me. How does he deal with man through his conscience? Right, God written his law in every man's heart and um, everything right down the line. Okay, the flood came. God wiped them all out. What's the dispensation immediately after the flood? Post-Diluvian. What is post-Diluvian uh, characterized by? It's a human government. What is the age that began at the flood? Present age. Okay. <laughs> when does the present age run from and to? From the flood to the second coming. From the flood to the second coming of Christ. No. No change in your service to rapture. Okay, so we got the post diluvian then what? Patriarchal. Patriarchal family, very good. Patriarchal. And that's characterized by the family. Okay, what's next? What dispensation's next? Okay, or law. Illegal, right. Legal. Law, that's right. God deals with man through his raw his law. Okay? Uh what what's next? Right. Grace. Ecclesiastical or grace. Church age. What's next? Tribulation period. What is it characterized by? Judgment. 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 What event begins the uh, post-Diluvian dispensation? Okay, the flood technically, but right. Tower of Babel, and it runs until. Post-Diluvian? Yeah, it runs until what? Abraham. Abraham. Okay. The patriarchal runs from Abraham to who? Moses. The law runs from Moses to. John, Christ is not necessarily wrong. Because you generally will see a cross right here. shows the difference. Grace runs from what to what? Huh? Christ to Christ. Christ to Christ. Okay, the rapture of the church. 
maybe tonight we'll get into why it's not John the Christ. What I'm saying is this. Right here, there is a dispensation that we're not talking about. Okay, we'll get into that. Not right now. Tribulation runs from what to what? In general terms, somebody be specific with me. What begins the tribulation period? And Antichrist and, and Israel sign a covenant, and it runs until what? Technically, yes. Untechnically, the leading of the nation of Israel out at the end of the seven years. Technically. Second coming's fine, just so you understand it. What I want to do is I want to be specific enough so if you guys come back and listen to these tapes in three years and you've got this stuff down that you, we can be a little more specific, a little more dot the I's, cross T's a little more thoroughly so that when you're ready for it, it'll be there to at least stir your thought. Okay, we've got a change in ages. And that change in ages is the what? Okay, but what changes? Second coming. Okay. Second coming begins what now? Perfect age. The perfect age. It runs how long? Perfect thousand years. Okay. And perfect age, and it has how many dispensations in it? One. What is it? Millennium. Okay. What characterizes a millennium? I don't think I told you this. We've got a characterization of all the rest of them. Christ reigning on the throne in the middle of his people. Okay, what ends the millennium of the perfect age? Great white throne judgment. The renovation of the earth by fire. We say the great white throne, but they're not one and the same, but they happen concurrently, so we haven't got any problems. Then what happens? What age are we going to then? Ages of ages. And that goes out into eternity. Y'all starting to come full of that? Okay, last two weeks ago, we went through these two dispensations. Last week we spent the entire week on the post diluvian dispensation, and I intended to be done, but we'll just go with the flow. This week we'll pick up with the family or the patriarchal dispensation. Anybody got any questions on this so far? Anybody, anybody pretty much understand where we're coming from and where we're going? And it's not a really big mystery to you anymore? Maybe? We are on page three, point B at the bottom of the page. The patriarchal or family dispensation. Okay, as you see under point B, this period 
ranges from the call of Abraham to the Exodus in the last 430 years. So just in summary, how long did, um, did the Antediluvian dispensation last? Sixteen fifty-seven, isn't it? Okay, and the human government lasted how long? Is it really fifty-seven? I think I'm off the top of my head. Is it fifty-six? I did got that wrong last time too, didn't I? Uh -huh. It's sixteen hundred fifty-six years, and it lasted from the expulsion when they're kicked out of the garden there until the flood. Okay. Now, why don't we know how long the Edenic dispensation lasted? We don't know how long Adam was in the garden. Okay? The uh, post-Diluvian dispensation lasted how long? 427. 427 years. Okay, and the patriarchal lasts how long? 430. 430 years. Okay, now when you're talking a, a man's history being 6,000 years, these really aren't very long. What are they, about less than half a day, one of God's days. Okay? Point number one under B. One of the three institutions God ordained was the family. Yet it in itself doesn't contain the answers man so desperately needs. Many people value family members so highly, but they too are an end in themselves. In this period, Abraham fathers a family or nation for God, Israel. Isaac, Jacob, and this strong patriarchal society only rebel against God and his principles. Isaac was a good man, but not so good as, as his father, and Jacob, Isaac's son, who succeeded to the birthright, was still less so. And then the twelve sons of Jacob, with the exception of jo Joseph, greatly degenerate from the parent stock. And that short dispensation, only 430 years, ended with the call of Abraham's descendants working as abject slaves in the brickyards of Egypt. Now, you understand what I'm saying there? I'm saying that Abraham was a great man, wasn't he? He pleased God. He believed God. and was counting him for righteousness. Abraham and God had a great thing going, didn't they? Yep. How about Isaac? What great things did Isaac do? What else? Wasn't that more what Abraham did and Isaac was just obedient? Abraham offered Isaac. Isaac didn't offer Isaac. I understand. I, I, and the point's taken. What else did Isaac do? Married a good-looking woman. But what else did he do? What noteworthy thing did Isaac do? Let me ask you a question. Who was Isaac's sons? Who was Isaac's sons? Jacob and Esau. What noteworthy things did Jacob and Esau do? Quibbled and fought and fight, tried to kill each other. Esau hunted, Isaac, or hunted Jacob. Problems, problems, problems. Jacob got down there at his father-in-law Laban's house. What happened? He got down and he worked a number of years for 
Laban's daughters, got the wrong one, worked some more for the next one, stole a bunch of cattle from Laban. His wife took one of Laban's idols, hid it in her tent. Mm -hmm. Laban goes chasing after him, da-da-da-da-da-da-da. They get back home. Esau comes out to meet Jacob to kill him, right? I mean, there's problems everywhere in there. What did, uh, what did Jacob do that pleased God so much? He wrestled with God till God blessed him. But I don't know if that's a great monument of a bastion of, of, of example for us to look. You know, you understand what I'm saying? Somebody tell me outside of Joseph what the uh, uh, 11 boys of Jacob did. What did uh, Benjamin do that was so great? Or how about Ephraim? Anybody tell me what Manasseh did? It just was, of course, Manasseh was Joseph's son. What did uh, uh, Levi do? That was so uh, noteworthy. Are you seeing as a degeneration? It started with a man who believed God and was counting for righteousness sake. And then you were degenerated down into a bunch of people living down in Egypt because of their sin and problems as slaves building pyramids out of slime and mortar. You see where the family got us? Nowhere. Didn't get us anywhere. The last words of the book of Genesis are a coffin in Egypt, and those are very suggestive. How many people knew that was the last words of Genesis? Didn't know that? That's an interesting study. A coffin in Egypt. Was Egypt to be the graveyard of all God's plan and purpose in the creation of the human race? Four times in the book of Genesis, God's plans for the human race were frustrated by Satan. First, by the fall in Eden. Second, by the flood. Third, by the dispersion at Babel. And fourth, by the captivity in, in Egypt. Is Satan mightier than God? Will he always prevail? We shall see. Somebody explain that to me. What, what am I talking about in that last paragraph? We got a degeneration of families. Sure he did prevail. But four times in the book of Genesis, the devil's gotten in and, 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 and frustrated God's programs. Frustrated the human race, anyway. Yeah, the human race. Because the earth is Satan's domain. Right. He got Adam to fall, disobey God. He got, saw, he got to the men that, uh, in, in, in the world to be so wicked, God destroyed him with the flood. He got the people of the Tower of Babel to forsake what God was going to do with their lives and build a tower under, the, under heaven. It would reach top, it would reach under heaven, right? And then he got the children of Israel, God's chosen people, living down as slaves to the uh, Pharaoh type of, type of the Antichrist. So you see where family came out with nothing? See where there's just problem after problem after problem? If anybody know, you'll probably hear me tell this story a number of times, but it's, it fits here, and I want to use, make an illustration before we change dispensations. Anybody know who Adoniram Judson is, or was? Adoniram Judson? One time he was a missionary. A missionary. Anybody know where he was a missionary to? Yeah. 
Adoniram Judson was one of the first missionaries sent out of America. And um, you may have heard of the great haystack prayer meeting when Luther Rice and Gordon Hall and Adoniram Judson and a bunch of guys that were at the time congregationalists had a storm come up. And they went into a big old haystack for shelter. And I guess there were these five or six men in this haystack during this storm and they started praying. And during that storm, God so got hold of that men in that haystack that God used the men in that haystack prayer meeting to, to be the first missionaries to go out and begin touching the world from this continent. And Adoniram Judson was a man that, um, that went to Burma. And Adoniram Judson was a, was a very educated man, a very profound man, a very eloquent man, and he went to Burma. He buried like five wives there. Uh, but he is credited with opening up the Burmese language to the gospel. He translated the entire Bible into Burmese and just basically touched that part of the world for Jesus Christ. And he's, along with William Carey, considered to be one of the forefathers of the modern missionary movement. Now, he did a, a great thing. And Adoniram Judson was a great man of God. He converted, he became a Baptist on the ship going to India you're going to India to see um, William Carey who had just gotten there and he knew William Carey was a Baptist from England so he started studying baptism in the Bible on the ship ride over there and he got under conviction on the way over there and wrote back to the congregationalists and said look I'm no longer your missionary and he got baptized as a Baptist and he, he, he disavowed infant baptism and he became a Baptist on the ride over there. Now can you imagine a man that was going off to foreign field and writing the people supporting him and saying, guys, I changed my beliefs. I don't want your support anymore. Going over to live in Burma or in India. And he got over there, William Carey and things, and they got him plugged in. And then and he and Luther Rice really touched America as far as modern missions. Now, what's all that got to do with the uh, patriarchal dispensation? Uh, you're with me. Do you remember that Sunday morning at Mardi Gras? We down there that last Sunday morning we were there and we walked out uh, the other way from Bourbon Street down that way. It was you, me, and Schlappy and somebody yeah. else. Oh, and yeah. there was a little old lady walking along there, about five foot two, probably weighed about 150 or 60 pounds, kind of a short, little dumpy, stocky gal. And she was pushing a cart that had her laundry in it up the street there just off of Bourbon Street down there in that one side of the quarter, French Quarter. And we got talking to her about her soul and everything, and it was about 10 o'clock, 10, 30, 11 o'clock Sunday morning. We'd just gotten out of our meeting there at the Mission on, on, Bourbon, on Bourbon Street down there. And we got talking to her about her soul, and she said she'd just come out of Mass. And she was going up to take her laundry up to the laundromat. And she said, what do you guys go to church at? Well, we said, we're staying here at the little Baptist mission down here on the, the thing and where, where, you know, where you go to the Baptist church. She says, you know what? She said, I had a great-great-great-grandfather who was a famous Baptist. And his, his name was Adoniram Judson. You ever heard of him? Now, I don't know if anybody else took it as hard as I did, but I pretty fell off the curve. And the point I'm trying to make is this. It doesn't matter how great you are for God. It doesn't matter how great uh, of an impact you make on the world, no matter how many 
thousands of books your name is written in because of their recording of the history of your life, family will not change the world. Here, some four or five generations, Mr. Judson lived, left at the turn of the 1800s. So he has been dead now almost 200 years, or lived, born about 200 years ago. However many generations she is from him, three or four, you've got a woman that is a Roman Catholic that for we all we know is hellbound without Christ some three or four generations from a man who literally touched the face of the world for Jesus Christ. Now, it tells you several things about the family. Number one, if you make an impact for Jesus Christ if you're alive, watch your family. Because the devil is going to step in and going to try and destroy whatever you're doing. And the greatest way he can do it is by attacking your family. Amen? Number two, understand that just because you make a great impact for Christ in your lifetime, if, if we have that privilege, you'll understand that you don't get a free uh, pass. Uh, what's the thing in a monopoly? Uh, go to, what's the word I want to say? You're not, no, the other one. No, you go around and collect two hundred dollars. Huh? Yeah, you go. Yeah, you yeah, you go to pass go whatever that's called. You don't get one of those free just because you make an impact for God. Huh? No. And you forgot. It's not. Well, you don't get a free card like that just because you make an impact for Jesus Christ. And uh, so. Family is not the answer. And God set up a system with the nation of Israel where family was it. Do you understand that that uh, as long as dad was alive, if you were 60 or 70 years old and had your own family and your own grandkids, you were still in submission to your father. Because it was a patriarchal dispensation where the eldest father alive was the one that was in charge. And if you read this, the stories of when Joseph is down as the assistant pharaoh in Egypt with uh, uh, the, his boys bouncing back and forth between Jacob and Joseph. And read that thing carefully. You'll see very graphically illustrated how these people followed what Dad said and did what Dad said and how that, uh, 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 that, that time worked. And I'll tell you what, family's not the answer. And um, so let's move on to our legal dispensation. Right there. The legal dispensation extends from the Exodus to John the Baptist, Matthew chapter 11, verse 13. I believe we read that last week. Somebody got a Bible real handy? Read it for us, whoever grabs it first. Matthew 11, For all the law and the prophets prophesied until John. So the law and the prophets went to who? John. So the law went to John. Pretty simple. Pretty cut and dry, isn't it? Okay? And I got a little note in the notes here. It says, note the standard teaching to be into the birth of Christ. 1,491 years. How come I have 1,521 years? That's the John. 
Yeah, but John's before Christ. Oh, the birth of Christ, pardon me. Okay. So that'd be the extra 30 years that Christ lived. Okay. Uh, in this period, God was sold to rule over Israel through representative. He would appoint a theocracy. Somebody tell me what a theocracy is. What does the prefix theo mean? We talk about theology. What are we talking about? Theology is what? The study of the doctrine of God, okay? So theocracy means what? God, God rule. God's ruling, that's exactly right. If you have a monarchy, what have you got? One person rules. got a king or a queen, right? And whatever you go down through the library, the theocracy is God ruling. Now, look at point number one under C. Remember, Israel desired a king like all the other nations around about her. God told Samuel, if you want to fill in the blank, <laughs> they had not rejected him, but God. And the reference you want to stick in there is 1 Samuel chapter 8, verse 7. Hence, in the government under God himself, uh, man rejects God's rule. First uh, Samuel 8, 7. God desired a king. Now, do you remember what was going on there? God anointed a prophet, and Samuel was the last prophet that God did this with. And God, Israel would bring their problems to Samuel, and he would judge them. Do you remember, remember back in the book of Judges, the whole book is about this very thing where God would appoint a, a judge. In one case, it was Gideon. In another case, it was Samson. And you had all these different judges that would come and rule over un, with God. They would be God's figurehead, if you will. And they would speak the judgment as God would lead them. They would be the prophet. And they said, no, we want a king like all the other nations around about us. Point number two. Please note the monarchy Israel preferred split after Solomon and ended in disaster for the nation of Israel. In this period, God gives a strict, grievous legal system by which... Uh, man must obey or be judged. Since the knowledge of sin came by the law, Romans 3.20, this system was, was rigid and unbending. Take your Bibles and look at Romans 3.20. Hopefully you remember it from the emphasis we placed on it in our last section when we dealt with the law of sin and grace and the law of sin and death and the spirit of life in Christ Jesus and, and those various spiritual laws we dealt with. Romans 3.20 says what, Nita? Therefore, by the deeds of the law, there shall no flesh be justified in his sight. For by the law is the knowledge of sin. By the law is the knowledge of sin. Without the law, there really hadn't been any sin. That's why prior to this, God was pretty flexible in what he did. That's how come God could allow the dastardly things that Jacob did, and God would still bless him, because there wasn't a strict hard standard for them to, to live by. Now, somebody tell me how come the law had to be so rigid? How come it had to be so rough? How come it had to be so so difficult? How come, how come you had to uh, go out and sacrifice all these different animals? And Why did we have so many peace offerings and burnt offerings? And why did they have to do it a certain way? And why were all the details of the tabernacle so intricate? You know, and why did the priest have so many things he had to go through? What's the reason for all that? Pictures of things to come. 
Okay, well, outside of the pit, the aspect of typology. Well, if it was real easy, everybody could go to heaven. Exactly. And so what was God trying to teach him under the law? That you can't get to heaven by works. Or you can't, you can't keep all the laws. What was God trying to show man with the law? Their sin. Their sin. Okay. Do you realize Romans 3, 18 and 19 says that every mouth might be stopped and the whole world might become guilty before God? The purpose of the law was that nobody could ever stand before God and have any kind of excuse whatsoever. Everybody that's ever been born has broken many of the laws that God has pinned in his word, right? And so what God's trying to say is, hey, this, this law is going to show everybody a dirty, rotten, law-breaking sinner, and every one of them deserves the punishment of breaking God's laws, right? Somebody tell me what the what the punishment for breaking God's law is. Death. The soul that sinneth what? She shall die. Shall surely die. Where's that found at? No. Jeremiah. Remember Ezekiel eighteen four and Ezekiel eighteen twenty by chance? Maybe you'll hang on to that next time. Okay. Look at point number four. Although salvation in every age is by grace. Everybody see that? In this dispensation, God gives us a precise system for the remission of sins. Now, take your Bibles and turn to Hebrews, the ninth chapter. Hebrews chapter 9. Hebrews 9.19 Hebrews 9.19 says, right there, For when Moses had spoken every precept to all the people according to the law, he took the blood of calves and of goats with water and scarlet wool and hyssop and sprinkled both the book and all the people saying, This is the blood of the testament which God hath enjoined unto you. Verse 21. Moreover, he sprinkled with blood both the tabernacle and all the vessels of the ministry, and almost all things are by the law purged with blood, and without the shedding of blood is no remission. Moses sets all this stuff up. He writes the whole thing down, gets this whole big legal system put up, and what's he do? He takes blood, and he sprinkles in all of it. You know what You know what the picture of that is? The law in itself can't save anybody. What does verse 22 say? Without the shedding of blood, there's no what? How do you get rid of sin? Can the law get rid of sin? Nope. Can keeping the law get rid of sin? Nope. What, why do we have the law? Do you understand that? How do we know our sin? How do you get rid of the sin? Blood. By the blood. 
So God built in this long, intricate system to get rid of sin. First off, to show everybody a sinner, and then to take and to get in a, in a, in a way to deal with the sin. And by the way, look at the last word of verse 22. What is it? Huh? What's remission? What is it? Salvation. Is it? Forgiveness. Forgiveness? What is remission? Set aside Stop for a while. Medical, you know, medical into, terms. It goes into um, a temporary setback yeah. of dormancy. 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 Okay. The vehicle to obtain this grace was the works of the law. Turn to James chapter 2, verse 24. Now, hopefully, we are dealing here on very familiar ground. Why? Somebody tell me why. This should be very familiar ground. We studied it. Is that right? What are we talking about right here? Hebrews 9 and James 2.24. What are we talking about? Okay, look at verse 24 of James 2. You see then how that by works a man is justified and not by faith only. By works a man is justified. And we spent a lot of time on this last session, and we went through the thing, and you guys taking the test over it and everything, but somebody in about 50 words or less briefly refresh our memories on what this thing was about uh, being justified by the works, or by the by works, and not by faith only. What, what are we talking about here? And how does that apply to us? Okay, what's that mean? Somebody got hold of this tape by accident, and they hear you say this is Peter's gospel and something else, and what in the world does that mean to them? Gospel to the Jews for the kingdom of heaven. It was a works gospel plus faith. Okay. How, how do you know that? Where do, where do you find that at? Without getting all involved and opening up a can of worms, just trying to refresh your memory. Acts two thirty eight says, "Repent, and be baptized, every one of you, for the remission of sins." And that's what Peter said. Well, yeah. Although that's different, but yeah, you're, you're thinking. That's millennial, but that's okay. And then uh, Paul said to get saved in Ephesians 2, 8, 9, how? By grace. No. For by grace you saved through faith that not of yourselves, the gift of God, not of works any man should boast. So then Romans chapter 3, Paul said, We see then how a man is saved by faith without the deeds of the law. And James 2.24 says what? You, you see then how that by works a man is justified and not by faith only. And we approached that thing last time by saying that Romans 3 says you're saved by, justified by faith without anything. And James 2.24 says you're justified by works and not by faith only. And there's a problem there. 
And the answer to that problem is a dispensational change. So what are we studying? Dispensations, okay? So naturally it comes up. So in the legal dispensation, God sets up a very intricate, precise system, first off, showing you your sin, and secondly, remitting your sin, okay? Look at number five. This dispensation dispels any thought or excuse. If only I had a code or law to keep, then I could have obeyed God. In fact, this dispensation accomplishes the opposite. Now we know that whatsoever things the law saith, it saith to them who are under the law, that every mouth may be stopped, and all the world may become guilty before God. Therefore, by the deeds of the law, there shall no flesh be justified in his sight, for by the law is the knowledge of sin. So what's the purpose of the law? Show us our sin. And to show us our sin and what else? Okay. That we're all guilty. We're all guilty. That's right. And that every mouth might be stopped. Mm -hmm. And the whole world become guilty before God. Okay? Anybody got any questions about that? Pretty cut and dry? Now understand, we're not teaching history here. We're not coming through and teaching you what took place in the legal dispensation because we have to spend time covering 1,521 years teaching you history. That's not our point. Our point is to teach you the angle from which God deals with the people who lived in that day and a half, okay? And we're not trying to teach you history of the patriarchs. We're trying to teach you history of the post-Diluvian age. We're trying to teach you the angle from which God deals with those people, okay? Okay, well, what, what, God's purpose of the law was what? To show everybody guilty. But they got to the point where they thought they weren't guilty. Right. You know, uh, as far as uh, legalism, uh -huh. they were above reproach because it was a holy book. Exactly. But that, uh, what, what, what did God do then? All the law did was show how far off they really were. Yeah. Well, that's what Jesus came to do. He just, yeah. You understand? Well, that's where I ended up. Like regeneration, Okay, the ecclesiastical dispensation of grace. This is what we live in right now. Okay? This period is in sharp contrast to the legal dispensation. 
We go from a strict system of works for salvation to one of free grace plus nothing. Also contrasting with the legal period is God dealing strictly with Israel. Uh, Matthew 10, 5, and 6, to whosoever will, Jews or Gentiles, Matthew 10, 9-13. Somebody grab Matthew, everybody grab Matthew 10, 5. Remember, we're contrasting here a strict system of laws with a free grace that you don't do anything except make him Lord to get. Okay? And then we're dealing, we change not only how you get saved, but we change who can get saved. Okay? Look at Matthew chapter 10 and verse 5. Matthew 10, 5. Matthew being the first book in the New Testament. Matthew chapter 10, verse 5 says, And these twelve Jesus sent forth and commanded them, saying, Go not in the, way of the gent, uh, in the way of the Gentiles, or into any city of the Samaritans, enter ye not, but rather go to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And as ye go, preach, saying, The kingdom of heaven is at hand. What's a Gentile? A non-Jew. What's a Samaritan? Half, half Jew, half Gentile. Half Jew, half Gentile. Okay. And what's the kingdom of heaven? The physical, literal, visible, millennial kingdom that God has promised to Israel, his people. Okay. So this is before John in Matthew 11, right? We read a while ago the definition. This is still under the law. And here they are under the law. And who can get saved in, Ma in Matthew chapter 10? Jesus. Only the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Okay? Take your Bibles and turn to Romans chapter 10, verse 9. Hopefully you guys have got this passage committed to memory. Romans chapter 10, verse 9. 